Christianity is just mythological. All other religions basically teach the same thing. But is this the claim of God? Is this the claim of the Christ of God? When you believe the Bible, you are believing a book that's built upon numerous prophecies that have been fulfilled with impossible scientific odds. Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkes-Barre in the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as the disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday on, uh, at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you've missed the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube, Gab TV at 9 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded and you're going to find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com and on Facebook, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. When you go to Gab.com, a pop-up will uh, come up and you can sign up for our newsletter. And uh, I give I put that out at least once a month and you may get some little tidbits in there. So if you'd like to be a part of our newsletter and see what's going on in the Wilkes-Barre area, then please sign up for our newsletter. Uh, make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. We are normally in the public square in, uh, at Wilkes, in Wilkes-Barre every Sunday at noon, uh, but I think coming through these winter months, there's going to be a little bit of a change as to how all that'll work. Uh, definitely when the spring starts uh, coming around, we're going to be out there every Sunday, again, weather permitting, uh, but you will find us there. Um, also, you can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now, let's listen in on today's briefing. Some of you may be familiar with Handel's Messiah. Uh, you're probably more familiar with the Hallelujah Chorus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You've probably heard that several times. That's a part of a larger work called, uh, George Friedrich Handel wrote it, and it's called Handel's Messiah. And it is, um, it had been given to him by a friend. Uh, his friend gave him, gave him a libretto, which is all the words for the song, and said, could you write music to this? And he wrote it in a very short amount of time. He, his testimony was that he was enabled by God to write these certain things, and he had seen the angels ascending and descending uh, from and to heaven, um, as he was writing this. So he felt he was divinely enabled. These uh, verses, and they're really, that's what they are, the scripture verses that are throughout all of the libretto of Handel's Messiah are, are prophetic utterances. Um, the Christmas portion of it are prophetic utterances of the coming Messiah. And so I'd like to um, bring out, as we go through this morning's program, these some of these prophetic utterances that have to do with the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. So um, I would encourage any of you, you can probably go on YouTube if you've got Spotify, Apple Music, or any of those other streaming music services. Uh, you should be able to look it up, Handel's Messiah, and give that a listen. It's well worth the listen. Um, it is incredible, the um, just the whole landscape of not only lyrics, but 
the uh, musical ability of some of these people um, from hundreds of years ago. Uh, give it a listen and do it after you kind of gain something of what this is speaking about. And hopefully we'll give you a little bit of help in that direction here this morning. Um, but these are prophetic utterances about the coming of the Messiah and those fulfillments uh, of those prophetic utterances. So Jesus fulfilled over 324 messianic prophecies. And there are 48 of those that are very well-known messianic prophecies. And if he only had just filled those 48, that would be one times 10 to the 157th power. That means 10 with 157 zeros after it. That is a one and 10 to the 157th power chance that that could happen. So it isn't chance when you step back and realize the only these 48, never mind the 324, excuse me, but only these 48, and it's we're already up against impossible odds. There has to be something else to this. It can't just be mythology, as was said in the in the introduction of this, this morning's um, broadcast here. But these are not cunningly devised fables. In fact, we have a first century historian uh, his name was Flavius Josephus. He wrote a, a couple different works of the history of the Jews. He was born 37, 38 AD, and uh, he was born in Jerusalem. He died at um, 8100 in Rome. So he was a Jewish, Jewish priest. He was a scholar. He was a historian. And he was he wrote some valuable works on the Jewish revolt of uh, AD 66 through 70, where then the, um, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70. And he attests to the existence of a man called Jesus who had been buried and rose again. And he is just giving an eyewitness account of this. So this is outside of the Bible. This is a man who wasn't in favor of Christianity, so to speak. He was a Jewish priest. And so perhaps uh, more skeptic at that point, but he nevertheless was an honest uh, historian and he wrote these things down. So when I'm going through these, these are prophecies given to us by God in the Holy Scriptures, they are not cunningly devised fables. These aren't things men just made up. So with that background, I'd like you to open your heart, your, your mind to these, and, and just bask in this just for this morning. In Isaiah 40, 1 through 3, we read a few things. I'm going to break uh, these verses down. But comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. He starts by saying, comfort ye my people. Who are God's people? Well, right here in the immediate context, it was the Israelites in Babylonian captivity. They had been unfaithful to God and to his laws for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then God said, I'm sending a nation in here to bring judgment upon you and to scatter you from this place where you live that I've given to you, to scatter you and to chastise you for 70 years from all your idolatry and wickedness that you've picked up from all the nations around you. These are the people he's talking about, the Israelites. But if we were to think about this in a way, trying to apply things to our current day, he's speaking about his people, the church. So that could be Jewish believers, but it's any believer in Christ at this point. And we are currently in a similar situation 
especially as we think about it in America, we're under a similar situation under God's judgment and captivity to a God-hating society. And he says, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. Why would he say that? Well, because if you were a Jew in that time and you were pushed off into Babylonian captivity for the 70 years and your temple destroyed and taken away from everything you loved and knew, known, if you were taken away from all of that, it may seem to be that God's forgotten me and he's, he's angry with me all the time. Well, he's saying, Speak comfortably to her, cry unto her, tell her her warfare is accomplished, it's done. Her iniquity is pardoned. He's got some blessing for his people and that blessing is this coming Messiah. But he says, speak comfortably to her. Then he says, listen, prepare. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So this is what he's talking about. He's preparing a way now, a highway for God to come in and meet with men and undo all this trouble, all this disobedience, all this rebellion, the wickedness, the curse of sin in the world. He's going to undo all of this. Now to a Jew, especially in the Babylonian captivity, this would have been a sweet balm to their ears, to their heart. And after the Bible tells us later in the New Testament, after God's chastening, it then yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. This is always God's will when he was bringing his people into judgment, not to just be angry at them and leave them off to the side somewhere, but his, his, his will always was and still is that if he's to bring judgment, it's corrective. He's trying to bring these awful things to pass so that we turn. And that's a message for us today in America. That's a message to the church all throughout all lands, that God is trying to get us to repent and to turn. And so sometimes he allows pretty awful things to take place in order for that end. And so here we find him saying about this, the voice that cries in the wilderness. I may be getting a little ahead of myself, but that voice that cries in the wilderness is John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist himself said he was the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Uh, let's move to the fourth verse of Isaiah 40. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked straight and the rough places plain. This is where all this will come together. This, the statement is, is how straight highways and paths were made for kings. The idea, uh, according to Barnes, the commentator is, the idea is taken from the practice, or excuse me, this is Adam Clark. The idea is taken from the practice of Eastern monarchs who, whenever they entered upon an expedition or took a journey, especially through desert and unpracticed countries, sent harbingers before them to prepare all things for their passage and pioneers to open the passes, to level the ways and to remove all impediments. The officers appointed to superintend such preparations, the Latin called stratores. And here, this is John the Baptist. He, John the Baptist, calls himself the pioneer of the Messiah, whose business it was with a loud voice to call upon the people dwelling in the deserts to level and prepare the roads by which the king was about to march. Now, we can go to a, an account in history that kind of illuminates this for us. Diodorus's account of the marches of Semiramis uh, into Media and Persia will give us a clear notion of the preparation of the way for a royal expedition. In her march to Ekbatana, she came to the Z Zarkian Mountain, which, extending many furlongs and being full of craggy precipices, in deep hollows could not be passed without taking a great compass about 
being therefore desirous of leaving an everlasting memorial of herself, as well as of shortening the way, she ordered the precipices to be digged down and the hollows to be filled up, and at a great expense, she made a shorter and more expeditious road, which to this day is called from her the Road of Semiramis. Afterward, she went into Persia and all the other countries of Asia subject to her dominion. And wherever she went, she ordered the mountains and precipices to be leveled, raised causeways in the plain country, and at a great expense made the ways passable. So this is the picture that the prophet Isaiah is using. There's a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, just like they sent harbingers ahead of them to say the king's coming or this monarch or whomever this person in high authority and power was, they're coming, they're on their way. And we read in this account that same thing. They would fill in the low spots. They would take mountains down or hills down and they would make a flat highway, an easy, short, quick access for us, or excuse me, for the, for the royalty to come through. Uh, we see a little bit of something like that when we drive on highways and we see that they've used dynamite to blast through you know, 30, 40, 50 feet of rock in order to make a highway go straight instead of us having to go over top of hills and around in ways we can go straight through it. That's the idea here. There is someone crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So these expressions are being used for the coming Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus would straighten everything out and even everything out. There were false caste systems among the Jews, um, the super religious Jews, against the common worms of society and a bunch of other people groups in between. Then there was that Jesus would straighten out the supposed schism, which really was a schism, but uh, between the righteous in God's eyes and those that thought themselves righteous. The religious of their day, uh, they were such a, a problem to Jesus Christ because the things that they were teaching were so far from the heart of God, and yet that's where they are. Um, so this is talking about this Messiah, prepare the way of this coming Messiah, prepare the way for God. The fifth verse of Isaiah 40 says, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So this glory has been veiled in darkness all the way up to the birth of, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There has been prophecies, there's been types and symbols all throughout the Old Testament and some people seem to have caught on to it, but even at that, with that little that they understood, it was all dark and veiled to them. And yet he says, when this one comes, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, it's so certain it cannot be changed. And this glory is Christ. This glory is the Messiah of God himself. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. Visit and like our social media accounts with Facebook, Twitter, Gab, Gab TV, and YouTube. Visit our website at www.godsresistance.com and contact us by email at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Then the libretto here of Handel's Messiah moves on to Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. 
which reads, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So there was a general shaking upon earth before our Lord Jesus came. Empires rose and fell. The Persians fell before Alexander's army. Alexander's world empire was ended by his sudden death in his youth. And of his four successors, two only continued. And they too, they fell before the Romans. Then were the Roman civil wars until under Augustus, the temple of Janus was shut For it greatly beseemed a work ordered by God that many kingdoms should be confederated in one empire and that the universal preaching might find the peoples easily accessible who were held under the rule of of the one state. In the heavens was the star which led the wise men, the manifestation of angels to the shepherds, the preternatural darkness at the passion, the ascension into the highest heaven and the descent of the Holy Spirit with Acts chapter two, verse two, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. So here we're told once more, yet once in a little while, I'll shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I'll shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. So he's, he, the, God has, sh- has shook things many, many times throughout history and will yet do it uh, at the end. However, this time he's saying yet once, a little while. So he's saying it's going to happen soon. Whether that is the fall of the Persian empires and whatever that the Jews were under in Babylonian captivity, that it could have an allusion there to that. But also, 517 years later is when Jesus actually came, or 517 years, I think, after um, the command to rebuild the temple. Jesus, um, never, I've got that wrong. It is 517 years. Anyways, uh, it's 483 years after the command to rebuild the temple that Jesus came, but 517 years from the time here that Haggai is speaking. Uh, so yet once, there's this one time that's coming where he's going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Things are going to shake up because Jesus is going to come that first time and the desire of all nations shall come. You may say, what in the world are you talking about? Well, he's the hope of all nations, whether or not they know that. But the desire of all nations shall come because they're looking for a savior. They're looking for a deliverer from themselves and from evil and oppression outside. And he says, the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So Christ was coming. And when that temple that uh, Herod had built, uh, you know, the rebuilt temple is coming and, and and there we have it where Herod's beautifying all this. That temple, Jesus was going to step into. The desire of all nations shall suddenly come into that temple. The temple that they all took great stock in and thought that that really was the sign of the true religion of God. But it was the one who entered it. And that was the Messiah. Malachi chapter three, or excuse me, yeah, Malachi chapter three, verse two. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he's like a refiner's fire. Malachi, uh, just like a lot of the prophets, seemed to blend uh, a lot of the first and second coming of Christ. They blend a lot of prophetical events together, and prophecy has a way of doing that, of having a near fulfillment, a little farther down the road fulfillment, and then an end-of-time fulfillment. Here we, we hear, 
uh, Malachi seems to blend like Joel, the first and the second coming of the Lord. And so the first coming too was a time of sifting and severance according uh, as those to whom he came did or did not receive him. Uh, we think about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those religious Jews. Uh, they did not receive him and he really overturned their whole system and was making lots of trouble around them. And the severance was not final because there was yet space for repentance. He came the first time to not condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But it was real. And Jesus' first coming was an earnest and is an earnest of the final judgment. He came the first time just like as was prophesied. And there's prophecies about his second coming where everything ends. And so as sure as he came the first time, he'll come the second. Christ fearlessly rebuked the religious hypocrisy of his day. And so we're told here that what he's going to do, who's going to abide the day of his coming? Who's going to stand when he appears? You've got anything you can stand on? Your own works, your own way? No, he's like a refiner's fire. And we're told in the third verse, he shall purify the sons of Levi that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So Christ will make truly pure priests. It's not just going to be about a succession of genealogy anymore. We're told that we're made kings and priests unto our God through the sacrifice of the once and for all uh, sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We are made kings and priests unto our God and he will make, he'll purify the sons of Levi. And he's talking about this all in a spiritual sense. You and I as Christians are the sons of Levi. We, you and I are kings and priests unto our God and we then can make a holy offering an offering of righteousness unto the Lord, because before that, we couldn't really do that. But because of his salvation, we can make an offering in righteousness now because of the salvation that comes to this Messiah, Jesus Christ. We're a peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood, according to God. Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, how's this going to happen? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It says previously in the first half of this Isaiah verse um, 714 uh, that the Lord himself will give a sign. So if the word virgin here, behold, a virgin shall conceive, if that simply just means an, an unwed lady, a lady who hasn't had any kind of sexual relations, then this isn't a miraculous sign at all because it says the Lord himself will give a sign. Why, why would a, a, a young unwed lady who has not had sexual relations be anything out of the ordinary? Why would God have to get involved in that and make it a sign? Except that this word virgin means this lady did not have relations with a man. She is unwed. She was betrothed, as we read earlier, but she hadn't, the, the marriage was not consummated and she was yet with child by God himself. That's the sign. And we read that here in Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So God is coming to meet mankind clothed in the same flesh as his creatures. Not God up there in the heavens, but God down here with me. I can touch and taste and handle of the word of life, as the apostles said. The Messiah, the Son of God, is named Emmanuel, God with us. And we can find throughout the scriptures, Jesus has many different names. And a lot of people have gotten caught up in all this. Well, no, that's this one and this name and this name. No, he has many different names. It's all talking about the same person. Isaiah 40, uh, verse 9, O thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, 
Get thee up into the high mountain, and, and this blends with Isaiah 61 as well. Get thee up into the high mountain, O thou that tellest good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. These are wonderful prophecies. He's saying, Thou that tellest good tidings to Zion, and Zion would have been Jerusalem, the people of God, get thee up into the high mountain. He's saying, get up on a high place, proclaim this so everyone can hear it. Tell your good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with strength. Don't be bashful about it. Don't be afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God, this Messiah. He's come in the flesh, God in the flesh. Arise, shine, for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee. So that was true for the day then when Jesus came to the Jews, but it's true for us now. We still have a good message. We still have good news to tell to all the world. Thou that tellest good tidings to Zion in Isaiah 62, uh, chapter 60, verse 2 and 3. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. So it wasn't ever supposed to be just for the Jews. It was for all of mankind. And it took the coming of Christ to shine the truth clearly upon such darkened hearts of his creatures, both the Jews and the Gentiles, the entire world. It took the light of Christ to come in and show us our hearts and then show us who God is and show us the way back to God. Isaiah 9, 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Christ is the light of the world and is the light of mankind. So we're walking in darkness, but now the great light has come in. And that great light is Jesus Christ. There's something special about the Christmas season. Christ hasn't been completely wiped out of society, though there's huge strides made towards that end. There's still something of the light of Christ that shines through at the Christmas season. And it should. We should never let it get buried in all this commercialism and nonsense. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, this is a messianic prophecy, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And listen to this, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. So the Messiah is the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He is one with the Father, the Prince of Peace. So any any Orthodox Jew during these times of studying the scriptures would have understood this as a messianic prophecy and that the Messiah would have been God according to this scripture verse. And that's to any of the naysayers out now that say that, you know, Jesus was not God. He, well, he is, and it's declared so here by the prophet. Luke 2, 8 and 9 tells us of the account then. There were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. This is a historical account that people are writing down. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, good will toward men. That's God's will. He wants to save the souls of mankind and make peace on earth through saved souls. And then ultimately, he's going to swallow all this up and make a world wherein dwelleth righteousness. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is the righteous savior, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. That's, that's us. If you're not Jewish, that's us. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Those are the miracles Jesus did. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Jesus did all of that. Isaiah 40, 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd and he shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come unto him, all ye that labor, that are heavy laden, and he shall give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn of him, for he is meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Matthew eleven thirty. His yoke is easy and his burden light. So the prophecy of the coming Messiah and the fulfillment of it through these scripture verses and this Christmas season. Dear listener, if you do not know this Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you've repented of your sins, you've put your faith and trust in him, he's radically changed you, you've been born again, you've received a new spirit, a heart of flesh and not of stone. If you don't know that, you can confess your sins today, repent and have this experience. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com and get in touch with me. I'd love to get in touch with you. But above all, Join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code. See you out on the Wilkes-Barre Public Square.